0: The poet Rilke, is that how you pronounce? Wilkie? says, "Perhaps everything terrible is in its deepest being, something that needs our love. Perhaps everything terrible is in its deepest being, something that needs our love." Barbara Brotsky. In 1972, lost her hearing and all the inner nerves which affect balance. She says, this loss has been my life's greatest burden and greatest gift. I dealt with this loss the way I'd always dealt with difficulties, which was to put my energy into the coping and not allow myself any self-pity. I was the mother of an infant and although I felt vulnerable and sick, my upbringing didn't allow me to be needy. Coping well helped me in control at a time of my life when my physical condition was so terribly out of control. I couldn't hear. I couldn't even stand, walk, read, or focus my eyes as the world reeled dizzily by my sickbed in nauseating spirals. I was encapsulated in a bubble that none of the world's voices could penetrate. After a month, I began to crawl like a baby, knees rubbing sore on the hardwood floors. Slowly, I pulled myself to my feet and took my first steps, stumbling across the eternity between dresser and door. some months later while she's sculpting. I am so filled with anger. I don't know what's happening. I tried filing again, up, down, up, down, and again the words had nothing to do with the experience. I finally stopped and admitted to myself how much I hate this work. There is nothing to do but file. A trained ape could do it. I'm feeling rage that my deafness has deprived me of the means to make this work bearable by listening to the radio and feeling connected to people. Some months later, the surf is huge, the waves dark. I understand that I must submerge myself. I must take a single step into the unknown. A wave crashes down. step into its ebb, and see the next wave tower above me, black belly, white foam, feel it slap under, roll me in its power, I am drowning, I can't breathe. Desperately, I force my eyes open. I breathe deeply, gasping breaths of cool air in the safety of my room. I stop trembling, I close my eyes, I am back on the same beach, I do the whole thing over, and over and over again. I beg for help. No, assurance that I can do it. Suddenly, in the midst of another terrible wave, Barbara, the strong swimmer, takes over. Don't fight it, I hear my voice saying. Be one with it. I start to swim with the wave. I gather momentum. I dive down and come up in the calmer swells beyond. I return to shore and do it again and again until I can enter the water, not without fear, but knowing how to harmonize with this previously overwhelming force. I am complete. All that I need to bring to this wave is within me. This morning, I felt like I'd never meditated before. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't quite my mind from its turmoil, my back which has continued to hurt through these weeks ached horribly, my legs were cramped, my forehead itched, I was alternatively freezing and sweating, most of all, I felt so totally alone, sit with it, I told myself, watch it, watch all the pain and anxiety and see where it's going. Watch yourself wanting so desperately for things to be different. After well over an hour, I got up, I walked around for a few minutes, and then the aloneness and agitation came back, and I sat with it. The isolation became overwhelming. Searching for something that might help, I reached for the lines of the 23rd Psalm. Though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Into the space I had opened through the small kindness to myself came the understanding, you are never alone, but this is the isolation into which you have bound yourself. When do you remember feeling like this before? When do you last remember really needing that, p- that psalm? And with a rush, the memories came back I saw those first weeks of my illness all sound gone. I couldn't focus my eyes, to turn my head brought waves of dizziness. I felt helpless and alone. I realized in this morning's instant of remembered pain that in 16 years of deafness, I have never cried for my pain. When I understood how I'd buried this pain, I sat there on the floor and cried and cried. The remembering hurt, but not nearly as badly as burying it had hurt. I wept for the loss of my hearing. I wept for the aloneness. I wept for the fear. I wept for the one in a glass prison, seeing but totally cut off from the world. All that week I remembered and cried. I had raged at my deafness, but never allowed the pain into my heart. I simply buried it and met any feelings of self-pity with contempt. I see that my deepest separation was from myself. Last night, I shared this new awareness with Hal and cried with him and felt his love. Today, I lay in bed before dawn in the same bed where once I was so ill and cried for the frightened young woman who had to cope with this illness. I reached out to my ears, gently searching for the nerves that were oxygen-starved and dead. They seemed to ask me for forgiveness for failing them. I touched my ears, that part of me that i have so often cursed with love. Finally, I reached out to myself, to the self I so often criticized for feeling self-pity, for not trying harder. Barbara, I forgive you. Barbara, I love you. Perhaps everything terrible inside of us is in its deepest being something that needs our love. Loving kindness in its perfection is that energy that is unconditional in its caring. Like the sun that shines on all types of earth, on all types of flowers and on all types of trees, like the sun that shines on all beings, loving kindness when it's mature shines from its own center without discrimination. The Buddha talked about it as a mother loving her child or a cow, a mother calf, a mother cow loving its calf, that sense of wanting to care for and protect, and not protect in the sense of trying to remove the child away from the suffering of the world, because a mother knows that every child will grow up and will face suffering and challenges and difficulties, and that only inspires the mother to love the child more. So loving kindness is not something that pushes away suffering, but rather includes suffering and embraces it, and for that very reason is inspired even more to love. This path, we could say, is a path of love not so much the purely and particular practice, concentration practice of loving kindness, but love in the sense that when we open and embrace what is most difficult inside of us, when we establish a relationship with that which is most painful inside of us, we actually begin to create the conditions not just for love but for freedom. Think of the places inside of us that are contracted and held by judgments like Barbara. Don't be weak. Don't feel self-pity. Or for example, I can't love. I can't, I don't think I can be intimate. I don't think I have that capacity to be in an intimate relationship. Or um, for example, I've I've just recently finished writing a book. And at the beginning of, of the invitation to write, I got in touch with this uh, belief that I couldn't write, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't a writer and that I couldn't write. And I started to go to different writing workshops. And um, I clearly wasn't as good as a lot of people there. But um, I also watched myself throw back any compliment about my writing because i was so attached to this idea and definition about myself that i wasn't a good writer we all have a myriad of places inside of us where we are holding these ideas and concepts and particularly the negative ones about ourselves that limit us and define us, but even more than just limiting us and defining us, actually cause a tremendous amount of pain. This path invites us to love all these places, to extend that sense of kindness and caring, to all these places and to be present with them in a way in which the, the power of them begins to dissipate. Suffering, ignorance, and delusion are the places where we allow these internal messages and also the events outside of us to determine our lives suffering is actually allowing any experience any experience to determine to define our lives so so w- when <coughs> when i'm in that place of feeling like i'm not a good enough writer when I'm really identified and held and caught with it, it feels extraordinarily difficult to bring loving-kindness up. It feels extraordinarily difficult to say, may this be held. May this be held in my love. In fact, if I manage to say it, all it does is feel like a sentence. Loving-kindness, loving-kindness is a practice. Loving-kindness is a practice that begins with just that intention and then practicing over and over again that intention and the sentences that come out of it until, until what's happening is that we're not in the belief of that experience anymore. We're feeling the experience and holding it in love, and that's the that's the particular transformation that describes the healing of this practice. So, our journey, our journey of loving kindness, is actually not just about loving those places, but it's actually about letting go of the belief or the attachment or the reality that those experiences have held for us and that we've taken to be true. So that that over and over again as I as I sent loving kindness to myself as a writer, it became more and more just the feeling of the generic feeling that I've lived a lot of my life with from coming from my childhood of just not being good enough. And more and more making the choice, and this is what mindfulness does, and this is how mindfulness works with loving-kindness, more and more making that choice of saying, where does my freedom lie? Does it lie in continuing to believe these experiences, in continuing to be determined by them? Or can I let go and offer my love? It takes a tremendous leap of faith to let go of our judging mind, to let go of our judging mind, and to open our hearts to the actual experience of what's happening at first when i started to challenge these old negative spaces inside of myself there was just this tiny light it felt like at the end of a tunnel you know there was this sort of all this blackness of this negativity and there was this tiny light and i was sort of i felt like i was a swimmer you know, with Barbara talking about the wave, just coming up to that tiny light, you know, gasping for air, which was like, this is not true. The Buddha actually says that no judgment, no judgment, no negative thought or opinion or idea or concept or definition that we hold about ourselves is ever true. Is ever true. is so radical. That is, isn't that radical? I mean, just as women, we receive so much negative conditioning about ourselves. It is pervasive to take a stand and to say, I challenge them. I challenge this. I challenge it for my life. I challenge it to honor myself. I challenge it for my freedom. And why isn't it true? Why isn't it true? Why aren't all these things true? It's your guess. No, Are okay. concepts? But the, the um, y- yes, that's good. That's good. They're all concepts. But more than just they're all concepts. Where do those concepts come from? Mind. They come from the mind, but a particular aspect of it that never brings truth the conditioned response, you're you're all circling around (laughs) it. What what brings negativity? We talked about it this morning. Aversion. Aversion. Yes, aversion. Aversion never, ever is the condition for truth and wisdom. If it was, we'd all be totally wise already. Aversion... (laughs) Yes, great, it's so liberating. Aversion, when we are in aversion, and all those negative statements and concepts are based in aversion. We are never in wisdom. We are never in the truth. Oh my God, it's such a relief. It is an incredible relief. We can unlayer it. We can unburden it. It is such a wonderful gift to know that. Because when we are in that relationship, when we're in a relationship of mindfulness and loving-kindness, we can see the places inside of ourselves, our personality, like I'm controlling. You know, I'm controlling. It's one aspect of my personality. We can we can see it. But you know what? There is no hatred directed towards it. There is no judgment. It too is held in love. And the wisdom to understand that it is a personality trait that i can spend my life working on it's fine one can be honest about it fine but never ever a need to use it to shut down our hearts to use it to beat ourselves up with to 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 uh cut off the beauty of our life process So. For all these places, the invitation is to call love into being. And the the practice of loving kindness asks us to challenge the place where we are holding attached to the beliefs of those places of pain and to let them go. The more we're able to let them go, the more we're able to hold those places in love. Just as in the same way Barbara talked about allowing herself to feel the waves crashing down on her of fear and finally surrendering into it, allowing it, letting go of all the concepts of I have to keep it together, you know? And allowing herself over and over to has the actual experience. And as she cried, she was held in her heart. And she finally was able to extend it directly towards her ears. This practice that we're on is a practice that says nothing needs to lie outside of our heart. No thought, no feeling, no habit pattern, no... Um, Addiction or obsession, no matter what it is, needs to lie outside of our heart. The challenge, the challenge is to be present and mindful enough to know when we're in that cycle, to call on our courage to allow the experience at the same time from disengaging from the concept of it so that it becomes the actual feeling rather than the ideas. Is that clear? Yeah? Mm -hmm. No? Yeah? Yeah? Is there a question? That someone repeat the last part of it? -hmm. I I, I hate myself. Let's say right now, I hate myself. If I'm really holding on to that belief, there is no space for the love to come up. The challenge of loving kindness asks me to let go of believing that to be true and coming into the actual experience of hating and at the same time to call love in so that the hating is held in love and that when the hating gets healed. So that the process of loving kindness is actually a process that goes hand in hand with mindfulness, and that's why the Buddha said, the Dharma is made up of two wings. On the one hand, wisdom, and on the other, compassion. Compassion is actually love for our suffering. There is both, over and over again at the same time. So this knowing that we're cultivating of the breath is a knowing that calls into being at the same time the energy of kindness that holds each experience because we're being invited, as Rolke says, to, well, the sentence doesn't fit, to hold whatever the experience is in love over and over again. That relationship that we establish It's a relationship that builds freedom. Why? Imagine imagine being one of those things, tossed by the wind. That's often what our life is like. When someone likes us, we're happy. When someone doesn't like us, we're unhappy. When we make a lot of money, we're happy. When we lose all our money, we're sad. The Buddha said that every life Experiences the um, winds of gain and loss, fortune and misfortune. He said, every life goes through those changes. We just know from one and a half days of sitting the incredible number of changes that we go through. If, if we were dependent on the changing circumstances outside of us and inside of us for our ha- for our happiness. We would be like that, that pink plastic, totally driven by the changing events. A, a total victim, a total victim. And that's often how we feel. We feel victimized by life. We feel victimized by our breath, by our bodies, by our thoughts and ideas. Freedom is not in changing those things. Freedom is establishing a relationship to them. Because as soon as you establish a relationship to them, they stop being the determining force in your life. That relationship immediately takes you out of the center. So go back to that place of I hate myself. I hate myself. I'm so miserable. I mean, we've all hated ourselves. It's horrible. So we're being buffeted. You know, we feel like we just want to crawl into our beds and hide and die, that kind of feeling. (laughs) What happens when our mindfulness sees that? Let's go of believing the idea comes into opening and connecting to that feeling, allowing the feeling to be felt. What is happening? We are creating a sense of, of um, I, don't want to say, I don't want to say being, we are creating a relationship that holds the experience rather than us being determined by it. And that relationship of holding the experience becomes larger and larger and larger the more mindfulness grows and the more loving-kindness grows so that eventually we're like all of space and events come and go and nothing, nothing ever touches our love and mindfulness. That's when that is the fruition of a spiritual practice. It's that relationship of knowing and loving and it gets bigger and bigger inside of us until all the events, all the thoughts, all the sensations, all everything we see, we hear, we taste, all experiences are arising in this huge space, and nothing determines us because it's so huge. So... The practice of loving-kindness asks us, with our mindfulness, to challenge all those places that are held in negativity. As the Buddha said, one of the first conditions for loving-kindness is to contemplate the positive qualities of oneself and others. So one of the beautiful conditions for loving-kindness to arise is to take time to contemplate your positive qualities. For example, that you've made such tremendous effort in, in honor of your heart's liberation here for these few days, that some of the time you've said, come on, you can do it. The moments that you have been kind, the moments where you have been generous, the, the strength that lies inside of you. It's a really beautiful contemplation to contemplate our positive qualities. Today we talked about karma. The Buddha says when we really understand karma that becomes the deepest inspiration to love ourselves. For every mind state that we experience, when we believe it and identify with it, we are watering it so it gets stronger. Every time we experience something negative and we believe it, we're watering that negativity inside of ourselves and that negative plant will grow. Every time we refrain from buying into it, and instead we intentionally call in love, we are watering love. The Buddha said that every moment and how we relate to that moment sows the seeds for future moments and their expression. He said, this is a law that is unavoidable. It is the law of life and the universe. Sometimes when you find yourself caught in a negative mind state and you can't think about love directly, it's possible to think about karma and to say, do I want this to arise again? No. And that becomes the inspiration to summon up the energy to refrain from believing it and to call in love. For every moment that we call in love, we are sowing the seeds for more love in our life. That is our power. For every moment that we intend to love, even if we can't love, but that we just intend to, self-hatred, I can't love you right now, I'm in too much struggle around it, but may I be able to love you in the future, we sow the seeds for love. Our power is in our intention. Our intention is our source of empowerment and becomes the source of our transformation in the world. The Buddha said that renunciation is the condition for loving-kindness. To, to let go of the primary obstacles of loving-kindness which are desire and attachment. To become easily contented is to renounce desire and attachment, to be contented with little. He said, there is another contemplation, and that is one of impermanence. Practice invites us over and over again to acknowledge the reality of our lives. And the reality of our lives is that we are growing, we are all growing old. And some of us will die soon, probably, in this room. Some of us will certainly die sooner than others. We don't know when we're going to die. Not only is that process happening beyond our control. But whether we sick or whether we're healthy, whether some of our body stops working before we're ready for it, if it's just watching our breath and how our breath keeps changing, our emotions keep changing, the Buddha said, when we really think about and contemplate loving, kind, uh, contemplate impermanence, we see that we cannot control, and when we renounce controlling, we create the space for love to arise. Now Metzger said, there are those who are trying to set fire to the world. We are in danger, There is time only to work slowly. There is no time not to love. And Rumi said it like this. Every tree, every growing thing, as it grows, says this truth. You harvest what you sow. With life as short as a half-taken breath, Don't plant anything but love.